0: I'd like the opportunity to talk about our great friends at Grimley's, the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies in Melbourne. If you're on a construction site and need product urgently, then you can count on Grimley's Direct. Getting your orders to you on time, every time at speed with our fleet of Grimley's vans and trucks direct from us to you. It's that simple. Grimley's has been in the game for more than 30 years, earning a reputation built on grit, determination, and a focus on delivering the best Sourced fasteners and construction supplies with a whatever it takes type attitude. Uh, whether it's a large commercial job, a small domestic little project, hard working tradies need the right products at the right time. Grimley goes above and beyond to deliver on the details. Grimley's always aims for the best solutions to your products. Go to grimley's.com.au for delivery that you can count on hello to everybody um by myself today no harrison thank goodness uh, we'll leave him out of things today but i have an incredible guest coming up in just a moment i'll tell you about that but first of all just want to uh, once again thank Grimlist for what they do and helping us put this show to air of course, they are um, servers of the construction trade, right at the top end, right down to the uh, individual tradesmen at the body at the bottom end as well. So, they will uh, get you what you need. They're located in Fairfield. Look them up, Grimleys. They're in the blue and white vans. They deliver on time on the same day that you order, and they have every construction need that you would need for the biggest job down to the smallest job. It's like walking into a toy factory down there. It really is. Go and enjoy that. Thank you to Grimley's. My guest today is a guy that has been involved in the police force for over 35 years. Um, He's done it all from being a junior constable, detective, uh, special operations group, through to uh, superintendent. So he's uh, spent a lot of time uh, chasing a lot of crooks, around Victoria. Dan Trimble is with us. Dan, welcome to you. Brian, how are you, buddy? Very good. 35 years in the police force, now retired, of course. Um, well, what was that like? Was that, is it something you always wanted to do, to be a copper?
1: No, no, it wasn't. Um, I actually fell What age were
0: you when you started? 21.
1: Oh. I fell into it by, uh, well, I suppose, default, really. I turned up at my brother-in-law, who was a detective at the time, um, Pat O'Brien, And he said, what are you doing with yourself? And I just got back from Cairns and he said, why don't you apply for the police force? And I thought, oh, yeah, why not? And uh, six weeks later I was in the police force. So it happened very quickly and that was how it just evolved from there.
0: I guess the most intriguing thing about that is once you get in, then it opens up your eyes as to where you can go in the police force. You elected to go in a couple of different directions. Detective was one of them, special operations group, uh, uh, another but what was it like in in those first years? I know you as a junior constable, you were in Collingwood to start with, and I imagine Collingwood. What period of time we're we talking? Is that the eighties? Eighty nine,
1: graduated late eighties.
0: Would have been a fairly colourful area to to be a copper.
1: Yeah, it was, and uh, Victoria the old Victoria Park, working that on the weekends, and so did you
0: come and watch the footy?
1: Yeah, yeah, we had to uh, staff the uh, Victoria Park. That's right. They always yeah. used
0: to have a half a dozen cops around the yeah. boundary,
1: didn't they? Yeah. No such thing as
0: security in those days. It was done by the Victorian the Police Force. Yep. yeah, um,
1: But never really had any issues there back in those days, which is surprising. But
0: uh, What, um, all those guys standing on cans, drunk as skunks <laughs> in the outer, no issues?
1: <laughs> well, I suppose, you know, those days, as long as they, you know, behaved themselves reasonably, you sort of turned a blind eye to most of the things. But, um, uh, no, I, I can't remember any real incidents there at all um, in my time.
0: So you jump in, you be, you're a junior constable to start with, you, you go to these really well-known places like South Melbourne, it uh, was a big um, big office for the Victorian police, Collingwood, Greensboro, these sort of places. Did you immediately set eyes on Special Operations Group as some specialty of the police force that you wanted to get into? Was that an immediate no, thought?
1: Quite, quite the opposite, actually. Uh, the first time uh, I saw them training at the academy, uh, one of my mates said, oh, why don't we do that? And I went... Why would you want to do that? Um, But then jump forward a couple of years and another mate was um, trying out for it and he said, yeah, you're fit. Come along and have a go. And uh, I thought, well, why not? Uh, I was probably at that stage, so that would have been uh, 96. And... um, we tried out in 96, A old group of us sort of When trainers. you
0: tried out, what what's a tryout for the special operations uh, group consist of?
1: Well, back then there was a one-day component out at the academy, which was your basic fitness levels. So you had bare minimums that you had to pass. I think you had like 60 push-ups, 60 sit-ups, but they were bare minimums and you'd sort of want to nearly double that to get through. And then they took you away for a couple of days up Mount Disappointment, North of Melbourne. Um,
0: they had a training complex up there, yeah, didn't
1: they? yeah. Back then, a uh, big obstacle course there near Mount Disappointment.
0: Which involved what? So, I remember I've been on that obstacle course.
1: Uh, there's uh- oh, there's a, a wall of fools, and um, yeah, which were quite high walls that you had ropes on, uh, various ropes, various so hand r- over hand going yeah, up and yeah, ropes over dams, right. those sort of things, and um, it was up and down pretty heavy, hilly country. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't overly enjoyable, but. Uh, the year we tried out, only four of us got through selection. So um, they didn't run a course until the following year in 97. Four out of how many? Uh, I think there was about 15 or so right. that tried out.
0: And how many were in the special operations group at that stage? How many did it consist of? Was it a, a group of 20? or?
1: Uh, I think it was around the 40 at that right. stage, okay. so reasonably low numbers. Uh, certainly now it's a lot bigger.
0: So um, they were only picking the best of the absolute best to come through then. It was really hard to get in because you had to basically wait for someone to go out.
1: Uh, no, they'd run the course so through normal attrition, they'd probably want to get you know that's up to eight. They'd probably be always at to sort of ten vacancies anyway. Um, so they held over to the next year, and then we started the course, the three month training course, or it was probably more of a selection course back then rather than a training course. But um, uh, we started with twenty two. Uh, we lost one a day for fourteen days, and then settled down. And eight of us got through. Three months training course
0: that tough the 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 training element. Yeah, we
1: always say it was the hardest one that was ever run. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, look, it's evolved a lot. You know, ten years later, I was running it as a directing staff. Uh, It's certainly evolved a lot. And uh, I joke when I say, you know, ours was like a selection course rather than a training course. Where you know, when you're on the course for three months, it seems like an eternity. Right. But when you're running it three months. Goes that quick because you've got to get that skill set through to those blokes, so because they've got to hit the ground running.
0: So is it fair to say that in your time as, a, as a training to be an SOG um, responder, that it was probably more physical, more about body and what you could do? Where now it's a combination of physicality and technical, the
1: technology that is now comes with with the job. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. So and and and. The range is, so the facilities that we've got now are way better than when we went through, you know. So we spent a lot of time driving to venues and et cetera where now it's all in the one complex. So
0: they've just – I think they've just spent about $80 million on a yeah. new complex. Yep,
1: yeah, which is probably the third one where the old one we had was just out at Crayburn at the old uh, new brick factory yeah. you know, just out in the open. Um, so the facilities make the training better. Um But, yeah, when we did it, there was a lot of uh, physical reinforcements, as they call it, punishments. Yeah. Um, And I remember one day one of the guys dropped his gun and we just as a bit of a punishment, it was uh, 50 push-ups, 100 sit-ups till we'd done 1,200 and 600. Wow. Yeah, so um, where now it's, as I said, the training course being three months, it's more about getting them the skill sets rather than punishing them because you've already done the selection part. So now you look at it as part of the training to develop them and get them a better skill set when they hit the ground running.
0: SOG stands for a Special Operations Group. There are other names for it, Soggies, Sons of Gods. What, what does all that mean?
1: Oh, um, well, the, the motto, part of it is, um, you know, the emblem and it's uh, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God <laughs> is the motto. So people use that as a bit of a thing, but... Yeah, there's all different terms. I mean in black, you know, all those all those yeah. changed now. They they wear green and other colours and um but yeah, they're all different terms.
0: So it's such a secretive world. Was it more secretive back then or is it so now that you were never allowed to know the names of these guys and it was all kept pretty confidential for obvious reasons yeah. dealing with some of the crims that you deal with. Was there how how did you did you feel like because no one was allowed to know who you are, did you feel like, why am I doing this? I mean, I want some recognition for you know who I am and what I do, but you had to be completely private and yeah, confidential no, about. Never it. worried me. Never uh, worried. Uh, you?
1: No, um, I think it, it's changed a little bit. You know, when we first were trying out, there wasn't a lot of information about how to go about it and all those. I was pretty lucky because I was grappling at the time with a couple of blokes that were at the group. Uh, So you sort of got heads up, do this, do that, you know, Uh, um, whereas now you have information nights and so forth for the members. So that, for the members itself, it's very good. Um, Yeah, look, I suppose, you know, uh, you don't talk about jobs too much at all. Yeah. Um, And there's a reason for that. You know, you don't want any leaks coming out. Yeah. And uh, I even used to say the wife, don't ask me about the job because if I don't talk about it, the leak can't come from me. Yeah. So... Special Operations
0: Group, I would imagine, and I have been down there. I did spend a day with them a couple of years ago.
1: For our 40th anniversary. 40th anniversary
0: thing to learn a little bit more about them because I was uh, hosting that particular night and it was really helpful. But the thing that I took away from that was that Special Operations Group officers spend a lot of time waiting for something to happen because they're not going out to – to a car accident, they're going out to the absolute top end terrorism, really bad crims, um, that sort of thing. So, do you is it fair to say that you spend most of your time training and waiting?
1: Uh, yeah, it varies. Um, certainly, on the job, sometimes uh, there's a lot of sitting around waiting for the <coughs> you know the right time to arrest them or enough evidence to be able to arrest them. So uh, yeah, you might spend days sitting around for that opportunity um so if you're not preparing for jobs uh then the training obviously takes place because you've got to maintain your qualifications uh so yeah that might be handgun shooting yep. uh, your various weapon systems so you're on the <coughs> range on the shooting range a lot as much as you can be uh but there's other qualifications you know urban skills map reading jumping out helicopters yep. fast roping etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah <coughs> That part of the training wing is to make sure you maintain those qualifications yeah. all the way through. Yeah, and and you got to maintain your fitness and all of those yeah. personal things as so, well. So <laughs> when a,
0: when a call comes through, and it, let's say it's in a suburban house, and you're going to arrest a real a bank robber or something, is it a case of um, is it a case of you've got a plan of the house? I can imagine you guys sitting around in a classroom type environment you go through the layout of the house this is what we think it looks like inside this is what the surveillance is telling us about the job is it is it that detailed or you just go to the job and you just react according
1: to what you see oh no look each job's different so you'll meet with the investigators who's running the job work out the best uh, method to arrest the person um and you know if, if, if it is that scenario where you've got to go in for evidence purposes into the house then you'll look at it and yeah you'll look at all the details of the house um i won't go into how you go about the actual yep. doing the arrest but yeah certainly as much detail as possible and that might mean uh reconnaissance of the place at night or day or whenever the opportunity takes it and obviously things have changed now with um you know google earth and all those sort of things which we didn't have when i first started yeah. so yeah. Someone like Jason Roberts, um, so the,
0: for those that don't know, um, two two Victorian police were shot dead in Moorabbin, Silk and Miller, um, an infamous shooting carried out by a couple of people. Both have since served time. One has got out, but um, tell us a little bit about what you know about that. I think your period came in the middle of this, um, these arrests for Silk, Silk, Miller and Tell us about that. Did you
1: ha- what did you have to do with that? Um, yeah, well, obviously uh, <clears throat> um, a fair bit. Um, one of the, if probably even back before you arrested um, Roberts, um, one of the early suspects was a bloke by the name of Lee Tawney. Mm. Um, he was a murderer, armed robber, um, and it was funny because last weekend I was up in Me Tongue and we went down past Sale, and I remember saying to the wife, "Oh, we did a job down here and." And it was one of the ones that I nearly got – I'll come back to Roberts, but yeah. uh, nearly got divorced over the – probably the only time because uh, that was – So tell
0: us a little bit about Tawny. What sort of a crim was he? Uh,
1: old school uh, yeah. criminal, uh, served time for murder. Um, uh, and, was a
0: su- and was a suspect in was, the Silk Miller at the yeah, time. Cause uh, yeah, because obviously when
1: it first happened, you know, it was just who out there, you know, yeah, it go meets find who the it is. criteria, I guess, of yep. someone that might do it. Um. Anyway, this job was a low-key job. We were just going down to the um, out-of-sale, a couple of hours out-of-sale in the bush just to have a look at a crop um, because a farmer had been riding through and been threatened by a bloke with a gun. And the farmer knew there was cannabis crops there but didn't really care. But he thought, I'm not going to be threatened by anyone. So he sort of rang the local cops. So (laughs) we um, go down and on the Monday, my wife had found out she was pregnant the first time with our first one we'd been trying for a while so you know I'm in the good books (laughs) the the sperm are working um so you know all lovey-dovey and I think it was the Thursday we headed down um and we'd just gone in just to mark where the crops were and that that was it we didn't expect anyone to be there and we rocked down and um the investigators couldn't find it initially, so we had a look at a map, and there was only four of us. So two of us went looking, and obviously they always grow them where there's water growing. So this I can imagine this. This is coming through a
0: pretty heavy bush. to, yeah, to find this, heavy. so you're, you're quiet and you you're yep. uh, sneaking careful. through. Although
1: yep. one of the blokes I said was never any good north of the tram tracks. He was like <laughs> an elephant in the bush. <laughs> He'll know who he is. But uh, so the four of us. So he stayed back with the sergeant and me, and the other bloke went forward and. We come across over a ridge, and there was a campsite, and uh, a white car was parked there, and there was two blokes, and one was walking around with a machine gun. Uh Uh, So we didn't know who it was at that stage, but um, so we get back to the office, as in on the radios, and they said, "So hang
0: on, you're peering over at this guy. You see that he's he's got a decent weapon, and you and so were you immediately thinking, not much we can do here with what we've got at this stage? Is that what Uh, you're thinking?
1: No, 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 no. So we just maintained OBS on them. Right. Um, yeah, we weren't that far, probably 50 metres from them, but we are quite happy where we were. Yeah. Um, so we're all cammed up, you know, with the owie suits and all those yep. sort of things, or ghillie suits, you yep. know, the living bush type thing. Um, so the information goes back and they said, well, look, if you can get some evidence, because they wanted obviously evidence on attending the crop. So, because at this stage, they, apart from the guns, really, they could be campers. Right. You know, so Uh, We need to connect them to the actual crops. Uh, So that takes a fair bit of time, and it wasn't until the Friday, I'd say afternoon from memory, that we got that opportunity. So we'd set up on one of the sites, but we'd found that there was another site over the other ridge, so over in another gully. Anyway, at this particular time, they'd split up. So the bloke with the gun had gone over to the other site, and this young bloke was uh, attending the crop and he had a bucket with fertiliser. So we videoed all that and um, got that back and they said, yeah, if you can conduct the arrest now, do so. safely." Exactly. So, um, so we moved in and they, they had a little fence around the crop, obviously to protect it from animals eating their, yeah. their money. Um, and the bloke I was with moved off to the slightly to the left. When you say um, a little crop, are we talking 50 metres by 50 metres, 100 by 100 metres? Oh, 100 by 100. Yep. So quite a lot of plants. Yep. Um, Anyway, um, I'd got within probably five meters of him, but I had the fence between me and him, and he was sort of facing me, but hadn't seen me. Um, and then I stood up and called on him. So hang um, on,
0: you've got within you've got within a few meters yeah. of this guy without him knowing that
1: you were there. Yeah. So just you, move you very are pretty slowly. stealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Just on your stomach, just yeah. moving slowly. Uh, and I call on him, and he looked at me, and um, I never forget it because he dropped the bucket lifted his jacket and started pulling out a Luger uh, pistol. Yeah. And uh, it's probably one of the times uh, out of the two, and I never shot anyone, but close as I came, and uh, I called on him to drop the gun and he kept pulling it out and I was just basically waiting for it to clear his belt, uh, safety off. But then I realised that the other bloke was going to get to him before then, so he crashed him to the ground and I jumped the fence, grabbed his arm, pinned his arm because it was underneath him, Dragged it out and then dragged the gun out. Um, So where's the machine gun guy at this time? He's still over at the other cross. Would would he have heard any of this? No. 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 So it was pretty quiet and um, I think he ended up with sort of mouthful of dirt because we sort of put him down pretty hard. Yeah. So we then took him back to what was basically a command post but in the bush with the investigators and sort of kept him there. And then the four of us went forward and waited for the other bloke to come back. Um, and you know this is a difference. So that young bloke, he was a clean skin, never been in trouble with the police right. before. Okay. And uh, later on, when I spoke to him, I said, "What were you thinking?" He goes, "I wasn't. I thought oh, I'm going to get rolled here, not thinking you were police, even though you said police." Ah, so right. I thought I'd better have a go rather than do nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, so, so, it's so something- you See, this is something that we that we we the public have no
0: idea about. So you're confronted with the situation that you've just explained then, and police are sometimes criticised for shooting someone, but when, you know, how far do you let it go before you do pull the trigger or don't pull the trigger? That is the question you've got, because we're never in that situation. We don't know what it's like. No, and and uh, you've got a wife at home that's
1: just announced that she's pregnant, and now you're confronting a gun a couple of days later. Yep, yeah. and and I remember at the time, uh, and it's happened a couple of times. Uh, it all goes into slow motion, so they're going slow, and I'm normal speed. I don't know why. It's just one of those things. And I remember thinking, well, I'll let it get clear, but I could see that um, the other bloke was coming in. So you're weighing up those times, you know, and, yeah. and you're talking milliseconds. Um, but yeah you know that was you wouldn't expect someone to do that but um, what about the arrest of the old machine gun guy did you manage uh, to get him without too yeah much so fuss? we waited and he'd come back and uh I never get because you're thinking hell you know what's just going on and yeah uh, you, know, you got to treat everything and switch on to the next task yeah um and we called on him and uh, I never get he just goes the bloody sog right. and he just laid down on the ground as calm straight as away. straight away yeah um, and as it turned out, that he was Lee Tawney, who was an old um, uh, done time for murder, oh. uh, armed robber, and as I said, he was he was an initial suspect for the Silk Miller um, shooting. But proved not to be no, mm. um, and he just laid down, and um, yeah, we arrested him. He, he was as good as gold, but um, yeah, and but he was an old school crook, thought very quickly, knew exactly uh, what was happening, yeah, um, and didn't didn't give us you know, any reason to uh, do anything but other than arrest him. Yeah. Uh, interesting, you know, talk about a calm head. He, um, years later, ended up uh, murdered and dropped in a mine shaft down at Chewton, out at right. Western District. Um, and as a, an issue, after um, the coroner finished with the autopsy, they gave the body back to the family to be cremated, and I think it was his ashes are up in the Gamby. Um, but unfortunately, the head wasn't given back. Oh. And so that was, had to be done again <laughs> afterwards. So cool head, but uh, I shouldn't joke about it. But yeah. So, yeah. but um, going back to nearly getting divorced, it was also my brother in law's wedding that Saturday, and uh, we were still up there. So Friday night, by the time we sorted this out, got him back to Sale Police Station, it was about one o'clock in the Saturday morning, um, and we had no reception on our phones, and yeah. you know. When I checked my messages, which went up berserk when we got back in with reception, uh, I'd gone from, you know, from the wife, you know, lovey-dovey, yeah. uh, everything's good, <laughs> you know, very happy to don't forget it's the brother-in-law's wedding on yeah. Saturday yeah. to uh, she wasn't very happy <laughs> and I, don't come home. But the last one was you have suits at work anyway. Uh, but we had to go back up and clear more crops that they'd identified for booby traps because right. sometimes you'd get booby traps on them. Yep. And we're doing that Saturday morning and I said to the Sarge, mate, i got to get back somehow. We're not going to get back for the wedding. He goes, oh no, the helicopter was up helping with the search. So he right. got it to land and I jumped on it and got an express back to, back uh, to Essendon. But we flew over the church as they were coming out, so I waved. Right. Uh, so that was all right. But I missed the uh, uh, actual wedding, got to the right. reception and uh, and – she told me not to tell anyone about yeah. the, the pregnancy, but everyone walked in, oh, well done, congratulations. <laughs> so she was she was happy, so we got back. But yeah.
0: So back to Jason Roberts, who yep. was eventually one of the guys that was sentenced over... Silker Miller, you had to go and arrest him? Yes. One yep. particular day? It was out in the suburbs somewhere?
1: Yeah, suburbs. He was uh, at work. And, and he
0: wasn't really a career criminal, was he? He no. was taken along by Bendali
1: Debs. Uh, yeah, from what I read you know, yeah. and was told. So, yeah, we arrested him and took him back. Um, a little, and I won't go into too yeah. much detail because obviously there's been court cases and yep. he's out now, but, um, yeah, we arrested him and took him back, but... Uh, and and I was telling a friend of ours, joint friend Mari, this story, and yeah. um, I was a, a, what we call a cutoff. So we're in a bit, another vehicle. So the arrest team went forward and arrested him. We just Casey did a runner. We were there. To so do t- that. just
0: just describe what an arrest scene looks like. Not necessarily just for Jason Roberts, but if you're doing an arrest in the suburbs at someone's house, what does it look like for you guys? Are you in police cars? Are you in? Are you, are you oh. parked at the front of the house
1: or you're a block away? What what? It, it will vary. Vary, uh, yeah. A lot, depending on the situation. Um, normally, there's a command post, which the command element's in. Yeah. Um, as is normally, a sergeant will run the job yeah. with the senior sergeant, so there's a process and that'll go through. This is what we're going to do. Everything will be run through and ticked yeah. off. Yeah. Uh, the investigators are there, so they're talking to them. That's back at the command post yeah. as a general rule. Um, as a sergeant running the job, you'll go – we're ready to do it. Yes, you get permission. Yeah. Uh, once you've got permission, you'll pick the opportunity that presents itself. So you might be going, well, we're going to do the house, but he walks out to go to the mailbox. Let's do it now. Grab him now. Simple as that. Um, once he's arrested, you might take him back to the command post or the Command element will come forward, you know, usually, and it might have changed. So, you know, this is a while ago now, but, uh, and I suspect it has, but used to be the senior sergeant and the inspector had come forward, check that everything was okay. Ask them if they'd been treated, you know, any injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And then they'd just be handed over to the investigators and then we'd just pack up and go back to the office and sort our gear out. So, you know, the the main work was then done by the investigators, you know, their, their job had just started then. So, um, but as we, um. The At Silk's funeral, they played the song, Hope You Had the Time of Your Life. That's right. Yes. And um me and one of the other blokes were in one of the four-wheel drives as a cutoff. And as the arrest signal was given... This is like a year later, isn't it? Uh Yeah, it must have been. A, a yeah. fair bit of time, a fair bit of time between the murders and the arrest. Yeah. yeah. But um And I was concentrating because I was driving and the guy I was with goes, hey, listen to that, the hope you had the time of your life, had come on the radio. Really? And was playing as we were resting Just as a coincidence? Well, the bigger coincidence was I went, oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't think anything. He goes, the radio hasn't been working. <laughs> and it didn't work afterwards. Right. So it actually got replaced. So, so it come on. So one of those coincidences, you know, must have yeah. just over, over a speed hump, something, one yeah. of the wires or whatever, but yeah, yeah so.
0: Ah uh, yes, half time in this episode of The Life of Brian. Now I'd like to give this message. I'd like the opportunity to talk about our great friends at Grimley's, the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies in Melbourne. If you're on a construction site and need product urgently, then you can count on Grimley's direct. Getting your orders to you on time, every time at speed with our fleet of Grimley's vans and trucks, direct from us to you. It's that simple. Grimley's has been in the game for more than 30 years, earning a reputation built on grit, determination, and a focus on delivering the best sourced fasteners and construction supplies with a whatever it takes type attitude. Uh, whether it's a large commercial job, a small domestic little project, hard working tradies need the right products at the right time. Grimley goes above and beyond to deliver on the details. Grimley's always aims for the best solutions to your products. Go to grimley's.com.au for delivery. That you can count on. So one of the specialties, I I think it's fair to say that everyone in these elite squads has a specialty of some kind, especially I think after a few years that you'd been in the special operations group was bomb technology. Yes. And that's what you specialised in. How many, uh, yeah, one of the boys outside was asking before, do we have many call-outs for that that the public
1: never get to know about? Oh, most of them the public don't know about. Right. Uh, even the, the police force itself don't. Um, so when I first joined, yeah, once you'd established yourself there, a year or two down the track, um, you know, and the various members would be identified because they are really good shooters. So you'd either go down the sniper path or the bomb tech path. So um, – now, that's changed now because the bomb response unit is uh, whilst under the banner, a separate unit, full-time yeah. unit, which they not need to be because yeah. we were part-time, basically. Especially in this world we live today. Yeah. Yeah. and things have changed, you know, post-September 11. Um, so you'd go down that path of um, becoming a bomb tech and then uh, which which I enjoyed that side of it. Um, uh, you got to travel a lot with it. and um, But job-wise, yeah, there, there was quite a few um, and different ones. Um, I mean, like there's with bombs, I would imagine, I've never
0: seen one, wouldn't have a clue, I would imagine there's the ones in the textbook that are textbook bombs that you learn about, but I would imagine if you're a crook or someone that's making one of these home devices, that there are no rules, there is no textbook. So how do you go about diffusing something that you don't really know
1: how it's been put together? Uh, Look, there's some basic stuff, you x-ray them, et cetera, et cetera, but... Uh, yeah, they're all different and, you know, with the – especially nowadays and that's why they're full-time, you know, the internet, there's so much information on the internet and then the dark web on how to make them and right. really it's limited to the imagination. But, um, um, you know, and, and, and unfortunately too, uh, one of the blokes I remember going to one, uh, I didn't go to it, but again, young kids getting stuff off the internet um, and then, um, you know, a lot of things will be there. You can make stuff, but it doesn't tell you the don't do's. And unfortunately for these young kids, they were just young farm kids. Yeah, right. They didn't read the don't do and, um, ultimately paid the full price yeah. and, and died. Yeah. You know, so it it is dangerous, um, you know, and you need to, um, be doing it all the time in order to do it. But I had an interesting job, uh, and it wasn't actually a bomb, but, um, so we were on call, so you take turns of being on call as an on-call bomb tech mm-hmm. at night, et cetera. But this was during the day, and um, it was at the Novotel in uh, St Kilda. We get called down there, and they said, look, there's a bloke. We think they've got explosives in the room. How they come by, it, I don't know. So we go up, got a card, open the door, he's in there. We grab him. Um, the fridge, I don't know why they put it in the fridge, but uh, there was about... Uh, Forget now about four kilos of explosives. Wow, which is a lot. Uh, yeah. All industrial explosives uh, in the fridge. Not you don't need to keep it in the fridge, but he yeah. had. So it wasn't like the old dynamite. You know, it's pretty safe these days. Yeah. Uh, the power gels, etc. Um, and we had a bit more of a look, um, and there was detonators, uh, timing clocks. Uh, Open the wardrobe. There was a uh, Mini-14, which is a high-powered 223 semi semi-automatic rifle, uh, crossbows, handguns, knives, um, maps. And and while I was searching all this stuff, making sure it wasn't all wired up, um, the information come in that the other two of them were in the room next door. And we'd been there for a sort of half an hour, and lucky they hadn't walked out. And so. you, you <laughs> hadn't made a commotion
0: going in? It was no, nice, no, it was all pretty entry. quiet, yeah. and
1: yeah, I was just going about my job. Yeah. Um so in the end, we, we got all our gear on and did an entry on the room next door. And um, I wasn't happy because I was last into the room because you always <laughs> want to be first in. Oh, not it's, for me. It <laughs> <laughs> is for me. Is, oh, I used to get annoyed if we, I wasn't because I was the bomb tech and doing the other stuff that last. And um, as it turns out, the little room, the only room for me to go into was the toilet area of the shower. And uh, they were from Hong Kong. And he was apparently the main man. Right. in the other room and uh, when I went into just to clear the bathroom because everyone else had gone into the main part of the room because there was only about six of us i think um there was he was in the shower with another bloke um awesome. and it's probably the oh, only they're t- having a
0: shower together
1: yes and right. uh engaged in right. behaviors I suppose. right. And it was probably the only time I hesitated. I didn't know where to grab. <laughs> you didn't know. <laughs> you where know to look. just for a split second, you sort of like, "Oh my god!" That I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting anyone because I thought they'd be in the. Room. So,
0: what were these guys? Uh, great story. What, what were these guys going to do? What? Well, what you, was their this, target? Did you
1: ever find out? No, the short answer. But so this was uh, in two thousand, so pre two thousand on September 11th. Yeah. Because uh, things would have changed ultimately after that. After that, that yeah. Um, and from memory, they got deported back to Hong Kong. So they'd come into Sydney. They'd gone to Tasmania and picked up all this stuff and come back on the ferry. So they'd – actually, there was a lot of lead, so they'd lead-lined everything. I don't know right. why, whether they thought it was going to be good x ex- save it from the x-rays or yeah, whatever. Right. But um, And there was maps of various places in Sydney and they had laser finders and all these sorts of things. So – I suspect their target was someone in Sydney right um, but from memory they were deported simply as that and so that, no that charges just get out of the country we' don't yeah. know well about they it. might have laid charges yeah. and then just deported them but um, you know that's how times have changed wow yeah, so.
0: what type of person wants to join the SAG what from a mental perspective if if we the public could sum up a person in a paragraph
1: who wants to be a soggy Oh, look, I think uh, most members probably would want to, um, you know, because, look, it is exciting. It's elite. The elite yeah, of the I, elite. Yeah, I, you know, there's plenty of people that could have, that should have, that didn't for various reasons, yeah. um, you know, because you had instructors that didn't like a person for a particular reason. Yeah. Um, and there's probably the the flip side, there's probably people that have been there that shouldn't have been there too. Um, I don't know I think you know a certain level of stubbornness um, mental toughness you need all that and the physical attributes obviously
0: a L- little slightly strange I've probably been accused of that <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, a little bit mad no look everyone's different very
0: um, body conscious fit sort of got mainly
1: now uh look the level of fitness is over the years is probably better uh you know because You know, when I went through, yeah, we got hammered every day. I've never seen Um, one that doesn't look like a weightlifter. um, Oh, no, they vary um, because you need those different body styles and different types of runners, the ones you throw up through the windows, the little blokes, the big blokes. It's probably no difference to a footy club. You know, it's a real mixture of different personalities and and types that go there. Um, So, yeah, I don't think there's... You know, it's not like you're watching a movie and they're all Navy SEAL types. Yeah, right. Um, you because know, it is varied and backgrounds are varied, which is great, you know, because you want those backgrounds and, um, you know, the people that bring those different skill sets, you know, it might be IT and all those sort of things. So uh, it does vary. Is it true, one of your fellow uh, uh, working colleagues told me that um,
0: that you were, I forget the circumstances, but because you were you're good with the bombs and that sort of thing, um, you actually had this firecracker, this harmless firecracker that you uh, decided you'd make good use of. What Do you remember this story? What happened <laughs> yeah. with the firecracker and what was that story about? Something to do with uh, um, just scaring someone?
1: Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, well, I'd left after my first stint in okay, the mid- so early Okay, so you left the SOG. Yeah, it was a detective out of Broadmeadows. Right. And uh, we were sitting around one Friday night, uh, as you did back then, having a drink, debriefing the week. Yeah. And... Um, one of the other members, very particular person, uh, had a desk right near the back door. And he, he was a person, he just did the same thing every time. Walk in, put his briefcase down, pull his chair out, right. sit down. And he was on night shift. Right. And um, I thought, well, I'll blow him up. Yeah, probably the wrong term to use, but they were like a sim debt, so a simulation debt. Yeah, uh, Fairly loud. Like so a, harmless, just a simulation yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. you wouldn't want it in your hand. Like yeah. a firecracker. Yeah. Like a big firecracker, I suppose, but quite small, but powerful. So I wired up his chair so when he pulled it out, it'd go off. And um, so uh, we went home relatively early and like we only had a couple of drinks and and then I jumped on the train and went home. And um, we forgot about the cleaner that comes in every night to clean. <laughs> <laughs> and of course she's vacuuming and um, pulls out the chair and it goes off. <laughs> so she ran in I, you know, saying I blew up in the uh, detective's office. Anyway, <laughs> I turned up to work on Monday morning, got dragged into the boss's oh, office, yeah, got imagine. the wiring thrown at me and said, do not blow up with our cleaners ever again. So yeah. that that was the last time I ever... Uh, set up a device, <laughs> and no, I didn't get the main bike anyway. Yeah, yes. got yeah. the cleaner instead. Yeah.
0: Um, you've also since since you've retired from the police force, and you've gone on, and I think while you were still at the police force as well, but it's 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 sort of turned into another thing. You've been involved certainly while you were still with Victoria Police for planning for for major events. Yeah. Um that Victorian run, whether it be a sporting event or a. Or uh, you know a Taylor Swift concert at the MCG or whatever that's what. How much planning goes into our major events
1: in Victoria when it comes to protecting the public? Oh, a lot, and and, and it's changed a lot. You know, if, if we talk AFL alone, uh, you know, it used to be we just worry about basically the four quarters, but now we call it the six. So you've got to get people safely to the ground. Um, Safely through the game and then safely home. You know, and and most people, if they've been to the G for the big games, would see you know the road closed off, Brunton yeah. Avenue closed off up, up north. Uh, yeah, you know, for the trams for them to get on. You know, the road closures that go in to get them away safely. So, yeah, a lot of changes, drone protection. Um, so it look, extends beyond the the oval itself. Yeah, yeah, we'll have people out. You know, watching. Looking for those warning signs, yeah. Like if a basic one would be a really hot day and someone's wearing overcoat, yeah, that that sort of thing, yeah. In the most basic form, but uh, so yeah, a lot of planning goes into it. Um, Big team, so that that was uh, as an inspector, I was at special stops. That was our role. So all the so a grand final in Melbourne, for instance,
0: uh, how many people devoted in the in the in the week or so leading up to a grand final? You reckon?
1: Oh. Lots. look you probably a thousand all up but you, you, so grand final it's a week so yeah. with the grand final parade and all the bits and pieces there's all the pre game stuff uh you know you work really closely with the afl and the clubs yeah. involved you know everyone's on the same page and and the venues the mcc um you know so really good relationships and that that's the important part about it the relationships that you build and they're fantastic part of the team so it's not just the public walking in through the
0: gates but it's As you say, in the week leading up, it's all of the um, trucks coming into the car park underneath the MCG that are delivering food and
1: other necessities. Yeah, Um, yeah, we'll be checking all those people that will be on the list to make sure that there's nothing that's flagged with CT, counter-terrorism or otherwise. Uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's – I often see you in the bowels of the MCG <laughs> sitting down in the
0: corner not doing much.
1: <laughs> Along with you, BG. <laughs> Wandering around. But, uh, you know, but, yeah, it's important that we work with all those people. So there's a lot of meetings and, uh, you know, the planning's done from months out But yeah, and then the game day and then, you know, even uh, depending who's playing. You know, as I joked this year because I was doing some stuff with uh, AFL Integrity. You know, if it was a Collingwood-Carlton uh, game, you know, the post-match stuff, yeah, as we saw with Richmond when they won, uh, what goes on there? So, you know, Ligon Street would have been if Carlton had been yeah. won, uh, you know, the planning that would have gone into that. So, yeah, a huge amount of planning for those events. And it's continual all the way through, whether it's AFL, uh, New Year's Eve, Boxing Day Tests, yeah. uh, you know, and, and all of those. And when you've got international teams, the Australian Open mm-hmm. – uh, spring racing carnival, it, it just doesn't stop. And then yeah. you've got all your protests and all those sort of things that go on as well that you've got to plan for, which is a huge drain on resources as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Away from special
0: events for a moment, back to SOG, um, a Russian guy was uh, come out to Australia to uh, maybe do a hit or something. Tell me about that story. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten about that one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what was the, what was behind this? Uh he was targeting uh, one of the Jews. So a Russian
0: guy had come out to Australia. They
1: bought him out, right? Yes. Oh, uh, so that
0: got him into Australia, particularly to do to do, the, do a hit. Do a hit on someone? Yeah,
1: and um, uh, I don't know. It, it was a Jewish person that was going to be the target of the hit. I I can't remember any more than that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it wasn't Nick Radev who I, I dealt with. Nick, the Russian, separate yeah. bloke. Yeah. Um, but this bloke, uh, yeah, we did a an entry on the flat that he was in, staying in. Um, And I'll never forget it because I was first through the door and he was the... um How did you get intelligence
0: that he was in Australia to do this? Where does that come from, that sort of information?
1: Um, Obviously the investigators get it and... Um, pass it on and then there's a whole crew dedicated to it and then um, all different areas of police force come into it, whether yep. it's surveillance or otherwise. Yep. You know, there, there's a whole number of means of how that comes about. And So you're, get, you're handed a lot of information about this yep. person. Yeah, yep. and and you work very closely with investigators to get all that information. You yep. know, quite a number of meetings and how you're going to go about it, where's the yep. best place to arrest him. Yep. Um, sometimes you, you've got no choice, you've got to do it there and then before you, yep. it takes place. Um, but we ended up, uh, I can't even remember, it was maybe Bentley Way and a unit there, so it was like a, a standalone unit. And uh, he was in the bedroom, which was just inside the front door to the left, um, and he was in there with a couple of girls, middle of the night, sleeping, and um, he had weapons in the room. We knew that. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah. So yeah, the information is pretty clear. So really, in that case, I was first through the door and I was straight into the bedroom, which was really.
0: So hang on, this is a guy go- that's been
1: brought to Australia. His job is to actually
0: knock someone off. So he's probably pretty good at his job if well, he's he, being he hunted. Should be. You'd yeah, if he's been yeah. called on from around the world, and you're first in the door. What what's going through your mind when you're hunting a guy that? is being paid to knock someone over, you're thinking
1: this guy could be as elite as I am or not? Um, No, I was thinking I hope the bloke that's hitting the door gets it right the first time. (laughs) You you don't want to be standing there banging away. So the Um, element of surprise is the big thing that you have, yeah? Yes, um, but very clear that once that first hit that they're aware that it's police. Um, Because a lot of the, um, you know, when you speak to them afterwards, they they. Petrified that it's other cooks. So yeah, so this is the thing. So if you if you did any of these
0: jobs and you didn't announce that you're that you were police, then you could be treated very very differently. Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah.
1: And look, I always said you know using the special operations group or even CERT to a lesser extent for some of these high risk jobs um, really prevent because of better training, better equipment, better skill set of the, the operators. Uh, and you know all the resources that go with it. Um, you know you limit their opportunity for those things to go wrong, and I and I and I really think that a lot of times that's saved situations where there's been that fatal or critical incident. So
0: sorry, I interrupted you. So you no. go
1: in the hallway and the bedrooms first on the left. Well, basically it's straight in. So I knew it's on the left. So you line up. So it's like one step two, and you're in. Yep. Um, and as I've stepped into the room, he was already flying out of bed and he just laid on the floor.
0: Right.
1: Didn't reach for the guns, which were on the bedside table. Um, and, and it probably is a reflection of him that he was able to, in the middle of the sleep, understand, uh, Understand, and uh, he just went, yeah, live to fight another day. Right. You know, whereas if he'd reached for that, gone for the firearms, the result might have been different. but. So someone like that, come
0: from out of the country, not an Australian resident, come to do a job, clearly got firearms in the room, you've got information that something's going to happen, but can you charge a guy that hasn't done anything? Is there a conspiracy? Oh,
1: yeah, it depends. And that's where you work with the investigators sometimes they'll want the arrest to take place after a certain time. And, you know, in the old days, you know, they used to wait for the bank robbers to... Rob the bank. Rob the bank and then get them on the way out. Well, that was fraught with danger because you're obviously putting public at risk. So, you know, things had to change and you'd arrest them before, you know, and you'd get them for conspiracy type charges beforehand. So, you know, you'd have those discussions and they'd be the discussions between the command element and the investigator's command element as to which way that goes, you know, who's going to do what, when, you know, we need this to happen in order to charge. So, you know, at the end of the day, you might go, uh, you know, we'll just deport him we protected the person that he's come out for. We might get, you know, the other's conspiracy to commit uh, various offences or whatever the case may be. And, um, yeah, you've solved the problem, sort of. Yeah, sometimes, uh, yeah, that's the best you got. You know, there's been over the years, you know, where we've put a parked a police car out the front of the bank just to make sure that, you know, they didn't go in yeah, if, right. if we missed them. You know? Yeah, because so, yeah, yeah. you didn't want public being exposed to an armed yeah. robbery. Yep. Uh, uh, robberies, are th-
0: uh, armed robberies are a thing of the past now when it comes to banks?
1: Uh, yeah, certainly. Because no, there's no money really, is there? No, certainly uh, I reckon the last one, I can't remember. I remember the actual incident. Uh, it was Blackburn ANZ New Year's Eve, uh, Christmas Eve. Um, and again, we rammed them before they got to the bank in a side street. But again, the, they were supposed to do it the day before, but right. um their, their stolen car that they had for it got stolen. <laughs> 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 so we rocked up the next day and sitting around waiting and, uh, yeah, and they had the you know, the masks on yeah. and we rammed them. One of the issues there was because we were waiting in the bushes to run up to the car and we rammed them to stop them, but the car was all fogged up and we couldn't see their hands. But luckily right. when the impact had sent the guns onto the ground, but, yeah, but yeah, not as common as they used to be. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um- so d- just tell me the the ranking system in the police force. So you start as a junior constable. Is that the lowest when you come in? Is that yeah, the first yeah, step? Yep, constable. So um, you make it to superintendent. So super a, a superintendent in the Victorian police force, would that put you in the top, what, 100 coppers in the state?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think there's 67 uh, and then, you know, a few So, commanders. what comes after superintendent commander, in rank? Commander. commander. How many commanders roughly? Ooh, a couple? I'm not sure. No, no, oh, I think it's half a dozen. Half probably a dozen. Dozen. Yeah, a dozen, dozen. Then, uh, what's after commander? Uh, assistant commissioner, there's 17 of them, and then 10 unsworn uh, public servant equivalent, executive yeah. directors, uh, and then four deputies and two uh, public servant deputies equivalents. Uh, um, um, depth sex yeah as equal and then the chief commissioner
0: itself so in terms of um in terms of payment structure obviously it's getting higher as you go is it if you if you break into like the top 100 footballers for instance or the top 100 basketballers are, are the ones that are getting paid the most I mean I'm assuming that's the same in the police force as well is there a, a significant step up as you go up is that why people like yourself aspire to get to the top
1: um oh, look, the money's a bonus. But yep. no, look, some of it is just uh, timing. Uh, you know, uh, I was quite happy at the SOG as a sergeant and the, the the boss, the superintendent that oversaw it at the time wanted me to put in for a senior sergeant's job at CERT. Right. Um, and I said, look, I'm happy as you won't be if you don't put in. You know? So yeah. sometimes you're sort of encouraged to put in. Uh, uh, just on that, you raise a good question
0: between the SOG and CERT. Is there a little bit of... Um we're better than you sort of uh, in the two separate categories. Like CERT is – SOG is is the top of it. CERT do the slightly less serious yep. jobs, although they can still be very yes. serious. yep. Is there – like, you know, oh, SOG the, guys, I think we're they're... a bit better than you blokes, we're better trained than you guys. Come on, there's got to be a little bit of that in there.
1: Well, yes, there used to be. Yep. Uh, and the reality is, uh, you know, it's smaller numbers at the SOG compared to CERT. so. Right. Yeah, you know, your training's always going to be better. for what? Critical incident response. Times. Right, okay. but, um So they, they cover everything, the full gambit, you know, that the SOG might, because we might be, the SOG might be tied up at a job uh, and they'll be able to fill that role. Yeah. So the, their training's up there and uh, and I've been responsible for that training as a senior yeah. sergeant there. So, But again, you just, because of bigger numbers, um, you know, a couple of hundred, trying to get them through the same level of training just you just can't do it in the time that you got, and yeah. jobs and all those sort of things. So I don't. Uh, whilst the training's very similar, um, it's just sheer numbers and training.
0: So Sog, so are you waiting for a job in a in a room somewhere in Victoria, and that's your headquarters, and that's where? Or are you going out and training and training and training, and therefore, if you get called from a job, often, it you you may be in the middle. Often you may be in the middle of training, and you're required yeah. to do a job and you've got to get your shit together from that point in time.
1: Yeah. No, you're always prepared for the jobs. Um, so, you know, you, your kits go with you. So as part of a crew, generally it's a Sergeant and three. Oh, when I was there, it might have changed. Yeah, things But what about right? you're
0: down at to wherever you train and you get a call into the city because there's a mad bastard cutting loose in the city with a gun.
1: Yeah. Is that just jump in the car, get there as quick as you can? Yeah. And however – um, you know, the uh, CERT have, you know, now since the various Bourke streets, we have quick reaction forces that is around the city. So there's a response to the city within really quick time. So, <clears throat> um, so that's always there. Um, and then at certain times, your big events space, um, the SOG will actually have people on the ground as well. So. Um, you know, if it's high risk, you already have them there. But, yeah, look, you, you could be at home after hours and get called out yeah. and that, that often have, happens and, uh, you yeah, especially the rule, the, the bit better helicopters now that get you anywhere within the state where they used to fuel and be only sort of able to take four. So, you know, if it was up at Mildura, well, yeah, crew would go by yeah. road. Others would fly up yeah, and right. you'd meet them up there.
0: Well, Dan Trimble has been our guest today, Um, and I want to explain to people that you've retired from the police force now. Um, You've been diagnosed with Parkinson, which, by the way, doesn't go well with uh, you know diffusing bombs, I wouldn't imagine, that little (laughs) bit of a shaky sort of thing, Dan. No, no.
1: Well, one of my nicknames, uh, and I've always had the shakes, and I used to say, oh, it's early Parkinson's joke about- As a young officer? Yeah, yeah. And my nickname was Tremor. So right. that was probably why I didn't go down the sniper route. But, <laughs> um, yeah, and I always thought I could fight like Ali, but I didn't think <laughs> I'd end up like him. But, um, yeah, no, I've got early, early stages Parkinson's and, uh yeah, you deal with that and yeah. that's why I took retirement. So, you yeah, know, run out of time before I run out of money. But uh, yeah, Because you would are, have liked to have gone further in the Victorian place. Oh, I don't know that that would have gone any further. I think, yeah, I, think reached my ceiling, but, no, uh, I think you No, I think you would know, have. But um, we'll, we'll see. But, yeah, it was interesting um, – I did the advanced bomb tech course in Tasmania, and the bloke that ran that uh, was uh, ex-British uh, Army, you know, Northern Ireland, yep. all through the 70s, 80s. It, his knowledge was in, impeccable. You know, right. just had that much knowledge. And um, at, on this course, uh, at the end of the day, he d- has set up these little hand packages that you had to get into by hand. Um, you know, various tools. And if the buzzer went off, you were off the competition. So it was really the last man standing at the end of the course. So every day you'd all get one who got through, come back the second right. day at the end of it. After watching me the first day, he goes, you cannot be, <laughs> you, you can't do this with your shakes. Anyway, got through to just me and one other person. Um, and uh, i never forget it. it was a horrible job. He would put a, the package on a flybridge on a boat in Hobart Harbour. And it was a really windy day and it was flight shaking and yeah. rocking and and you're in a bomb suit which is heavy and fogging up and horrible on my back, um, doing this, getting in. And somehow and I did, I fluked it. I got through and the other bloke right. failed. And he right. goes, I just cannot believe it. I said, Well, you made a mistake, I said yeah, you, know, you cancelled out my shakes with the rocking of the boat. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh Very yeah, good. so yeah, you got the parkinsons but uh yeah, no, it's all right. Uh yeah, you learn to deal with these things. Absolutely. A- everyone's different with it. And how yeah. old are you now, Dan? 56. 56. Yeah. Started when you were 21 did you? 21 say? in 21. the police force? Yeah. 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 And, well, and uh, you know, I'd encourage anyone that, you know, looking for a career change, something exciting to join you. Yeah, police are looking for it. It's yeah. been a great career and I loved every minute of it. Well,
0: congratulations on serving the community. It's a, it's a great job that you've done.
1: Um, p-
0: as part of what Grimley's do in the construction industry, Dan, uh, our great supporters here, they do this thing and they go above and beyond for their customers. That's their whole motto and reasoning for existence almost. Is there someone that in your career that has gone above and beyond for you to help you achieve what you have uh, have been able to achieve at various levels within the Victorian Police Force? Is there anyone that comes to mind that has gone above and beyond?
1: Jeez, Brian, you put me on the spot there. <laughs> I, didn't I, get can't, I can't go past the wife, can I? <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, oh, look, now, in all honesty, you know, she... You know, she Julie. Did, Julie. So we... Um, we got married 10 days before the SOG course. So for the first three months, people would go, how's married life? she goes, shit, I haven't seen <laughs> him. And in actual fact, her mum turned up one night and Julie was crying. And <laughs> What have the, I married? And the mother-in-law goes, what's Dan done? I don't know why she went straight to yeah. that. But um, we used to use a lot of tear gas, which when you iron your clothes, the heat reactivates it. So she was ironing my overalls and, of course, she was tear gas. So she's been on the journey all the way through. But, you know, running around after the kids while I'd be off, you yeah. know, interstate or whatever, and, and you'd get called out in the middle of the night and turn up a week later, you know, and she'd have to manage all that. So, yeah, you certainly can't go past that. But, yeah, I've, had, I've been lucky with some fantastic bosses throughout the yeah. career. And, you know, some things, it's like a circus, you know, I probably don't miss the circus that much, but the clowns, Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, cause it, yeah, it's the people that you meet along the way that have been fantastic.
0: Well, an incredible career that you have had. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Congratulations to you. Thanks for being our uh, guest today, Dan. Enjoy.